0: So do you have any other tips for a successful closeout process? Yes.
1: Yes. For new construction, I would say, right in the beginning of your kickoff meeting, bring that question up. What is a successful closeout? What are you expecting from us? Read your contract like you said. Look at the specs. If you don't know, ask. I hate it when people are in a room and they feel like, oh my God, I've been in construction for so long. I should know the answer to this. It's okay you don't know the answer, but...
0: Hey what's up everyone? Welcome back to the CNN tours podcast. My name is Matt Graves, my co-host each week's Kyle Grandell. What's up, Kyle?
2: Hey, what's up, Matt? Thanks for everybody for joining again here. Excited to have a nice awesome guest again here. It's gonna be a good time. So let's do this.
0: And you're back on days now, right? So you're you're amongst the the daytime people.
2: Well, I am. I'm I'm at least walking. I wouldn't say I'm living amongst the daytime people yet, but I am present. Um, <laughs> And still adjusting again, so there is sunlight. So
0: somewhere, oh yeah, 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 for sure, man. This week we got a, a interesting guest, um, and a very it can be a boring topic, can be a very exciting topic, not a good way, but we're going to get into it and kind of hopefully give some um, some pointers on it. So this week we got Natasha Melindra's Knutson. I think I said that right?
2: Yes, and, Natasha. Uh, we're going to talk
0: about, and we're going to talk about closeouts, uh, specifically in California, uh, DSA closeouts. So, welcome, Natasha. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background of yourself? Hello.
1: Yes. Um, first of all, thank you for letting me be on your show. I feel very honored and get to share something I'm very passionate about. So, as you both know, um, I own a business here in Southern California. I started in the industry when I was about 20 years old in engineering and testing. And then I saw a huge need in our industry for projects not being closed out properly. And there was about 26,000 jobs in the state that for some reason never got to the finish line, fire life, structural access reasons. So I decided to leave that engineering firm and start a business solving a problem because that is a business, right? Solving a problem with a product or service. And here I am at 38 years old, 10 years later going strong. I'm still solving these lovely problems that were never closed out properly. And yes, that is me in a bubble here in California.
0: That's awesome. So you usually work for general contractors or architects or subcontractors or?
1: So it it usually depends, it always varies. Um, Usually I'm working for the owner because I have more power over the architects, engineers and contractors. But sometimes um, when it's new construction to ensure projects are being built properly per plan, then I will work alongside either with the architect or with the contractor. Um, it's whoever's taking on the most risk at the time to get to that finish line, but yes, we work with all of them. I got you. Yeah.
0: And I actually Let's learned some, oh, go ahead, Kyle. I was just going to say, are you from California or what brought you up there?
1: Oh, I've been born and raised California. If anything, I'm like, well, it hasn't brought me to Texas or where <laughs> you're from, Kyle. But yes, I am still in California from California, born and raised. Wow. It's really hard for us to leave here. It's the weather. It's the weather that keeps us here.
0: Yes. Yeah. Especially in Southern California right now. It's I don't know. Actually, we had a cool front blow through yesterday, sort of. It's in the 90s today. So it's a lot cooler today than it has been.
1: Yeah, it's it's getting hot over here, but it's the weather. We, we don't go through what you go at Houston. <laughs> it's,
0: it's been brutal. Yeah. Um, so we were chatting before and you, you kind of taught me something I didn't know. Uh, in California, I have the DSA. Can you kind of explain who they are, what that group is and kind of what their responsibilities are?
1: Yes. So um, I'm going to make a long story very, very short, but back in 1930, there was the Long Beach earthquake and it was a very, very, very large magnitude where most schools of children were in there. There There's about 70 buildings. They all collapsed and it would have been the biggest catastrophe in history of children dying from an earthquake because it was all schools. And so of that, DSA was born called the Division of State Architect. They oversee the entire state of California. There's four offices. And what they care about is every time a project's going to be submitted um, to be built, they want to look at the plans for fire life, structural, and access. If there's a fire, can we put it out? Um, If there's an earthquake, is the building going to collapse? And last but not least, if someone's in a wheelchair, are they going to be able to get in and out of the building? And so with that, I call them big Brother. They oversee every public-funded project in the state of California to ensure safety of all the staff, students, and communities. Plus, um, you have to think about it, too. When there's a natural disaster, where do you go? You stay at the schools and the hospitals. So we need schools to withstand just as much as a hospital would if there was ever a natural disaster of fires and earthquakes and things of that nature.
0: So So is this
2: organization? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Are, are, are they in addition to a state board of, of architecture as well, or is that just totally separate entity, totally separate thing, or how does that work in California? Totally
1: separate entity. So okay. usually let's say in your state, you know, you would submit your plans to the planning department with the city, right? Yeah. What, well, over here, you don't do that. If it's a school, if it's K through 12 or community college, you go directly to DSA, that's their jurisdiction. But if, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, private school, then that would actually go to the city. So yes, that's how we function over here in California.
0: <laughs> so whenever you're doing the closeouts with them, what type of things are they looking for in particular?
1: So when you're building a project, you, in you know, I believe this goes overall construction everywhere throughout the state um, or throughout the country is You want to make sure you're building it per plan. And sometimes you can't, right? There's an architect, there's an engineer, they have this vision, they have this idea of how to build it. And then you have the contractor and the contractor sometimes laughing saying, you cannot build it that way. And at times, even though that's happening, you have to make sure whatever changes are being done, that they're going to be safe at the end of the day. That if uh, the engineer is saying, build it, you know, tomato, you're going to build it tomato, but they're both going to withstand something. And so we're ensuring that all of that is being built in accordance with it, but it's, it's, it's complying at the end of the day. And so with the closeout, we see a lot of things that weren't built exactly per plan, which is fine, but no one did their due diligence of getting it signed off by the right person, maybe the engineer or the architect and getting it properly done. So I'm always digging up these bones of things that never got completed or there's other interesting things where contractors um and i can say this openly because i won't share any names but they collected and build everything but they only built 70 percent of the job they took all the ada out and so when i walk the site there's no ada signs there's no grab bars the whole ada scope's gone but they got paid every penny Mm -hmm. so that's a common thing too with doing the due diligence of the closeout is you see that some of those really bad contractors got paid 100% but they didn't do 100%. Which is really sad.
0: <laughs> so you guys are really concerned with the accessibility and the uh life safety aspects yes. of things, right? It's yes. Structural too, I guess, to make sure it's built towards the uh earthquake standards.
1: Yes, because if something does happen, like let's say a project wasn't closed out properly with the state and wasn't signed off by the state if the kids are eating in a lunchroom and there's an earthquake and the ceiling collapses and hurts all those kids, well, guess what? The school board members are personally liable if something happens, where if the state did sign off on it, then the state's insurance would cover all of that. Um, so that's the, mig- that's the main reason why of how that needs to be done. But then again, we also need to make sure it's being done right, where contractors aren't stealing money from school districts by not building things a hundred percent that's another reason why we also do what we do
2: hmm. so yeah, question question I have is is um, who who hires you on the projects typically and then how, how do they how do they get in touch with you how do they find you
1: so um, I saw a need in the market and there really wasn't a ton of people creating this business but it was something I became again very passionate about. And so I started putting my services out there and I figured out, okay, who's the best person to work for in this problem where I'm going to be able to have more control over the project, the problem, fixing it. And let's be honest where I'm going to get paid that 60 days, not, you know, 180. And so I found out if I go directly to the district that boom, I'd get signed on quicker. I'd be able to create my own teams, hire my new contractors, my new architects, my new engineers. And then also, um, Get word of mouth more to build more clients so i will do that but i also sometimes do partner with the architects or general contractors if needed but i always go mostly to the owner 100 percent, to get that done Very
2: uh, cool
1: yeah
0: i imagine if you tell the school board hey if you don't get this closed out properly you're personally liable i'll help you make sure you get closed out properly
1: oh so let's talk about politics right <laughs>
0: <'Cause there's laughs> politics
1: and um there's a way about going about it so over here there is the school board and then you have the superintendent who's like a CEO of a school district. And then you have all, you know, the different head offices like your financial officer and et cetera. Well, I learned very early on, you don't go straight to the board that you're going to piss off the people that sign your contract in between the mm. facilities director, the CBO. So I had to learn at a very young age that you go first, to the director of facilities, who's in charge, of all of it. Then you go to the CBO and then you see if you're allowed into that gate of the board, because the other way you ruffle more feathers. And if you ruffle feathers, you're not going to get into that room of playing with those people because you went over their head. So yes, that is one approach, but that's not a good approach. I've heard of doing that. Yeah. Stepping on people's toes.
0: <laughs> I could definitely see that though. But yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, so kind of a chain of command thing. I
2: mean, it's just like working with our project managers. We don't we don't want to go to their bosses. We talk with them first to make sure that the you know the information flows kind of up, if you will, in that case.
1: Bingo. And I and just like a company has a chain of command, you realize every business has a chain of command, every school district has a chain of command, and you need to go through the proper chain of commands, even when we do our closeouts. You have to go through the right people to get to that final um final person who's going to help you move the needle to get what you need to get done. So even if it's getting your contract approved or even if it's getting that contractor done to finish his job, um, there's always chain of command of going through it. Yes.
2: Well, maybe if Matt was an electrician, he'd understand those things, but I guess it's over his head.
1: Yeah, I can see Matt just shooting to the top. I can see that in him. (laughs) He's like, don't waste my time. I need to go to the top and talk. Let me
0: talk to your boss's boss. Yes, (laughs) now I got to finish my punch
1: list. Yes
0: now uh so what are some of the i mean other than contractors just blindly not finishing their work what are some of the biggest struggles you like you see with Like, what are some of the harder things to get closed out
1: okay so one of the hardest things to get closed out is like i said architects and engineers are designing a project and then the contractors are out in the field and they're the ones actually building it but they see from their experience that that's not realistic that can't be done like i have a project right now with the school district where um, they're supposed to be putting some different types of plates in. And the engineer is like, you can only build it this way. And the contractor is like, one plus one is not equaling two. I cannot build this. So we are having a come to Jesus meeting to figure out what are other solutions and methods. And so what I, I, when I do all my closeout, I see all the things that go wrong. And I ask myself, how could we have solved this in the beginning? How did we end up here? And how could we have been here? And something so simple as a constructability review or the plans given to the contractor could have caught all those things. So at the end, we weren't ending up here. So when I usually close out a job, I share the lessons learned. And one of the big things, like I said, is more constructability reviews so that the contractor can see it and point all the things out before the job even starts. But a lot of people, I don't know why they don't um, put more effort into that. I know school, disc- school districts are now for the larger projects, but just even a normal job, having a contractor look at it before you start building it. He could probably, he or she could probably point out a lot of things that just are not going to work in the field or have a ton of RFIs done, right? It's usually how it goes down.
2: <laughs> well, and that's really interesting about the constructability reviews. And I mean, my my two cents on my thought on that would just be that and Matt, I don't know what you see, but to me, they're kind of a um, a bland, not a bland, um, not very well defined um, is, in terms of what they're supposed to entail. And it's like if you go look up constructability review, you can find 30, 40 different things about them and, and how to do them and 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 what should it have and what shouldn't it have. And so I think maybe it scares a lot of contractors or a lot of owners even. I don't know.
1: Um, So one of our clients, Oakland Unified School District, every project that they're going to build, they do constructability review. The first team that they send it to is the construction management team who has a general contractor working under them, and they say, look at everything to see what could really go south in the field building this and what we need more information on. That's one party that does constructability. Um, The next one that does the review is a project inspector. So you know, just like you have foremans on the jobs, um, superintendents, we have project inspectors who I call the nucleus of our projects, and he will also review them and then give it back to the team of like, no, that's not going to work out. And so if we find a lot of those red flags, I call it, then we bring everyone back to the table and say, what do we need to change about these plans? What do we need to add in there? What's not in from enough information? And then um, work on it from that point. So why, again, when it's being, build, being built, it's not stopping at some point with needing that information later. But that was something successful I saw Oakland do. I believe San Francisco Unified does that too. But um, I pay attention to those things because I'm in 30 different school districts right now so I see which ones get to the finish line with less problems and which ones it's like oh no it like it just goes south everything goes south and it usually has to do with planning and communication that leads back from the very 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 beginning yeah
0: I know because I just did the CCM exam and constructability reviews was a big Like a big part of it, talking about constructability reviews and stuff, and they have a definition, but again, it's still in the real world. It's like every entity, every project, it's they have a different idea of what that really means. And every you talk to thirty different construction managers, thirty different construction managers will have a different idea of what constructability review means, what they're looking for, right? Yes. And if you don't have a good diverse team of people, you know, if I just give it to like me and Kyle, well, Kyle's probably going to go look at the electrical first, maybe I'm going to go look at like mechanical and plumbing first, and like we may not have a strong like structural background or something. Right. So we're going to gravitate towards what we know. So you really have to have a group of people with like every uh, kind of every trade sort of um, captured, have a good, good review.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. It's like, who's mainly on the project and someone representing those, that contractor, that inspector, that's who should be looking at it because those people are probably going to bring up those issues first. So that's how I've learned um, what Oakland did. That was, that was pretty good for their program of all the projects that they're building with their bond, which is a lot of money. (laughs) And again, like if you don't close out a project properly, then what happens is you have to rebuild it, reconstruct it. Well, what happens is you're taking money from another project. And guess what? That project doesn't get done, which is really sad. So again, that's why I think I became really passionate about this closeout is when you're counting on an architect and contractor to work together to build a project, let's say for like, I had one that was about 30 million and then 20 years go by later. And now we're spending another two to 3 million. Well, where did that money come from? It came from a program that another school's not going to get where those kids need it the most. So um, close out. If you don't do it right, you're going to have to pay for it later at some point to fix. Just like I'm sure on your projects. Oh, hey, Matt. Hey, Kyle, we need you to fix this building, modernize it. And then you're like, wait, the original team that built this did all this wrong boom redo it add it into your scope what it cost you just go up right it's like do it right the first time (laughs) with the closeout
0: sometimes it's tricky sometimes it was just you start digging into old buildings you realize like whoa they did what I know but then sometimes as you go touch things well the building codes have all changed over the last 20 30 years so if you go touch this well the dominoes fall you have to go upgrade all of that too and so there's so a lot I of owners have, that don't recognize that That, like, when you go touch something, it's, it can have a wider range of effects too.
1: I mean, we have a project right now, again, not going to name names where Um, They used metal studs in lieu of wood studs. And I'm thinking, why did they do that? Why would this contractor not just follow the plans of using the wood metal? And then some another contractor, again, I call it master of the minds. I have every type of mindset on a team solving a problem. And someone said, I know why, because they had leftover material. And so if they had the leftover material from that building, then they thought they could save money by switching it in this building. And I'm like, you are kidding me. I said, no, I bet you that's what they did. And so you find out very interesting things too that people will do thinking they're saving time and cost. But guess what we have to do now to fix that problem? I have to rip through walls, get a contractor. I have to bring a structural engineer out to see if metal studs are just as safe using wood studs and they're doing calculations to figure that out. Well, now i'm spending like i said time and money on ripping through the wall paying a structural engineer and then we might have to reconstruct it we don't know if if it's feasible at the end of the day so yeah those things that you find very interesting in projects
0: and i don't know if dsa cares very much but i know the actual building owner will especially with the commercial stuff we do where if you're doing closeouts if you don't have a good as built and not just you know whatever but like if you change material types if you don't capture that in your as built and have it then when they go and touch it again in 20, 30 years. And I have experience doing this because I've worked on some older facilities. You go open up a wall and like this doesn't match the as built. They yep. use completely different material. And your whole plan you spend a year designing goes out the window and you're scrambling, you know, trying to get it worked out just because your as built were not as built.
1: <laughs> yes. And I think that's why we have so many different types of inspectors and project inspectors, because Um, there's always more than one set of eyes over here on projects. So if someone tries to make a change and hide it, there's going to be four other sets of eyes on the job that are going to catch it. And like, I I mean that four other sets of eyes and someone's going to document across the line where they're not going to be in that boat. Like you are of, Oh, we're, we're finding this now. It's like, no, at least we have it most of the time documented by someone from the original team, which is nice. But that, again, that, Doesn't solve the problem, but it is held for accountability. And then the state finds out about it, which is a whole nother game. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, this is the same kind of stuff that you see in manufacturing too, because most of the plants and factories that I work in are 20, 30, even plus years old. And so they all start out, start out at a certain size. And guess what? They build them, they expand them, they add on to them. And so, what's important to that? Well, it's the as-built. So, you know, what what's the documentation show for where the underground piping, where the underground electrical is? What are we going to be cutting into next week when we yes. undercut the dirt out and start adding on to this building? And guess what? Every freaking time we do it, there's stuff that wasn't documented properly, and we end up, uh, you know, cutting into a sewer line or taking down the parking lot lights or something like that because something that wasn't even in the drawings. I mean, maybe. The electrician that just retired last year, Bob, he knew about it, but he was the only one. So
1: yeah, I think um, like Matt, when we were talking earlier, you, you talking about your lovely punch list, right? I tried understanding because again, the jobs that I'm closing out are 20, some are even 30 years old, right? So I'm, I'm reading through the punch list. I'm reading through things. And I asked a couple contractors and construction managers, I'm like, why do people just leave at this point? And they said, "Well, we got to understand from a business standpoint, we only have so long to close stuff out because we got to replace our people on new jobs to get new projects going, to get new money going. So I and then again, um, made me realize that there's these things happening because from a business standpoint, people are trying not to lose money by keeping that same team on site when they got to move and move forward. But then there's no one again to get it to that final punch list of zero, <laughs>
0: So we're trying to solve that problem right now. Did I hear you right? You're closing, you're still working on closing out projects that are 20 to 30 years old.
1: Yes. What does that mean? Okay. So that means that it was constructed 30 years ago and that the state never signed off on it. And so I'm reading the letters from the state of why, and it's different reasons. Like I said, um, some of them, the fire alarm system never worked 20 years later. We're we're now submitting new drawings to fix the fire alarm. Um, the the metal studs in lieu of the wood studs. That's a job from 15 years ago. Over here, there's a lot of accountability where you just they just don't let the district like oh you're up and free. It's like no. Once they have it documented, it then becomes um, like your report card that has to get done. So all my jobs pretty much right now are from at least 15 to 20 years ago.
0: And these schools are operational, like they're oh yeah, there's
1: kids in the building, which. I've only had two projects where I've told the district, get the kids out because the architect said so. Um, but most of the time it's just these minor things that aren't working out. But every now and then we'll come across one where I'm like, no, no one should be in this building right now. And it's not by my word of mouth because I'm not an engineer, I'm not a car- contract contractor yeah. architect, but that professional is telling me this isn't safe for kids.
0: How did they I'm my mind's blown right now, sorry. How no, did they ahead. even how are they even opening class? How are they holding class? If, they, like, if there's something so big that the architect says, get the kids out of the school, how did they ever get to the point where they're like, yeah, that's cool, we'll open class?
1: Because we have so many people over here, and it never went through the right proper chain of command, shall we say. And you know, the state can only do so much. I mean, they could close projects and buildings down if they want to. Um, but at the same time, too, they report it to the school board and the superintendent saying, this liability is on you. And sometimes they don't understand the severity of things. Um, So we have different categories in our industry. And if it's a category four, we call it, that's the one where we know something structurally is wrong. Um, But sometimes districts, um, they want to build stuff without approval, which I've seen happen or do maintenance without approval. Uh, There was a high school recently about two hours from us in the LA region where their whole gymnasium uh, gym roof collapsed. And nobody was there, thank God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're like wondering, like, you're probably um, flabbergasted, like, how, why it, it happens. And I, I know for a fact it happens in other states, too. Because imagine us over here in California, we have everyone holding us accountable. But imagine in your state, I bet you if we did a, looked at the plans and did a walkthrough, we'd probably be like, okay, no one's being held accountable right now. So it's it's that nature of some people just trying to get by which I don't like.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I, I can totally see it. I mean, people that are, you know, there's certain projects that are, you know, they're driven by a certain deadline and that date starts approaching. And I don't know, maybe there's funding that they're about to lose if they don't get it done by that date. And they say, oh, you know what, we'll just put that on on the B item punch list and we'll come back to it later. And they never do. Um, Or there could just, there could be ones that are just hiding it too. I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of different scenarios and reasons why.
1: Always different reasons, and like you said too, funding is huge. So um, the feds came out with when COVID happened with Easter fundings. Do you know of Easter fundings? Have you heard it? I say I say Easter. No. Some people say Easter fundings. But uh, long story short, the feds gave every school district in our country money to improve their facilities for COVID, and a lot of those districts used money to upgrade their HVAC facilities or HVAC units in every building well, you're only allowed a certain amount of time. And some districts were given millions and millions and millions of free money. But if they don't use it by this deadline, it's gone. And so that meets with the point that you're saying, we don't get this done by this deadline date, we're going to lose out one of my clients almost lost out on $15 million. That's a that's, that's a lot of free money. Um, and that was just one small school district. So yes, there there comes that point of we got to use it before we lose it so build it and get it over with but then you're back at square one of throwing more money to fix it (laughs) if it's not built properly yep
0: yeah yeah unfortunately in this industry there's always incentives to cut corners
1: yeah yeah and i don't i don't understand that and I do at times, but I do, I did learn like lazy people work twice as hard. Good work's not cheap. Cheap work's not good. And <laughs> that's why I have a job. And some people are like, you should do closeout in other States. I'm all, I don't think I really could because I don't know if other States uh, hold everyone accountable as much as we do over here. I, and I, I could be wrong that you, you could say, Natasha, come to Houston tomorrow and start a business.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, Yes and no. Like, I mean, we're an owner's rep firm, so a lot of these things you're saying, like, like we would never let a school, like our company, you know, obviously thinks he gets to the cracks or whatever, but like we would never let a school open that doesn't have all the stuff in place, right? But a lot of school districts, if they don't have somebody really looking after the best interest, can be swayed by the architect or the contractor. That, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine, fine, because they're all trying to get it done too, because they don't want that you know, bad look on their plate. Yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's it under the rug and then no one ever really digs into it. Um, So, I mean, there is sort of a need for it. I think it's, you know, we don't have the same big brother, I guess, that you're talking about specifically for that niche. So there definitely is a need for that sort of stuff. It just kind of gets put in with kind of like, a lot of times the architect may do it um, or like an owner's rep will take on that responsibility and making sure all the stuff gets closed out and making sure the owner's getting what they paid for the closeouts, whether it be, I mean, a big one's training. Like getting, make sure the owner's trained the right way, right, with the equipment. Yeah. A lot of this, um, you know, building automation systems are high tech. And, you know, when they have crazy AV systems and all these sort of things, make sure the owner gets trained right. And make sure the specs say you need to videotape it. Make sure you got the videotape too, because, you know, you need to have that on the record. So when they hire somebody new, they have all the training documents and that sort of stuff. And um, so, anyway, those are the type of things we make sure, um, as an owner's rep, that are, the owner's getting what they paid for and what's they legally do too you
1: know so yeah no i would i would love to come out there for a field trip and see how texas builds schools how you know their chain of command with their cms and architects and engineers they're also inspection and testing i i am sort of a really big dork about testing inspections because where i started my career at so like bolts and concrete and epoxy anchors and like PT and shot Yeah, I'm a weirdo about it. I shrink okay. out. Um, and then I also know that in New York, New York has New York public school systems because they're one of like the largest school districts in the country. And so they have their big brother called N New York Unified Public School District Authority. Yeah. NYUSDA, something like that. So that's their big brother. But who knows? Maybe Texas at some point will get one. <laughs>
0: And I mean, I've actually never done a K twelve school. I've done a community college, and it didn't really work the same way. But um, anyway, is every state's a little bit different, I guess
1: it absolutely is. And again, why is it different? Because we face different things. So you guys face what storms, and who face hurricanes? Yeah. No, yeah, we
0: have yeah, we're, especially where we're at in Houston, all the coastal coastal counties. Um, you have to make sure all your stuff's wind uh, certified. For wind tornadoes uh, you get some tornadoes up north. Um, yeah, I mean, I say we don't get any down here, but a tornado hit Houston area last year and wiped out the neighborhood. So we do get oh them. Gosh. But,
1: yeah, uh, we had a tornado hit. I know it sounds crazy, but I actually watched a video. It was about like four months ago. And I was like, no, that did not happen. I was like, oh, wow, that really did happen. But that never happened to California. And it was a mini one, but it hit a, this like little trailer park community. So everything was just flying. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this poor place. Yes.
0: They're not ready for it either
1: no no we were not we don't build stuff for that but earthquakes yes tornadoes not really yeah
0: getting sidetracked here but actually i've always heard uh like austin like i-35 that runs right through the middle of texas through austin and up that sits on the Balcones fault line and apparently that's going to be if that thing ever slips that's going to be bigger than any california earthquakes ever happened. it's one and i don't i'm not a geologist by any means but like you know california gets a lot of moving just because like the plates are constantly shifting so you yes. get a lot of you get a lot of little movement well the one the balcone's fault line that goes right through austin and right through like central texas and all the way up all the way up through north that thing it's whatever type it is oh this is geology class 10 years ago 13 years ago but when it slips it's going to be a big slip and it's going to be like it can it could happen today it could happen in a thousand years it's a you know no one knows but it, anyway
1: no, no, it's a, it's a real fear. It's a real thing that many people look out for. Um, I used to sleep with a backpack cause I lived in a three-story apartment and in my backpack, it was next to my bed with like shoes, a flashlight. Cause if there was an earthquake, I was, I was done. I was out. Like, I know you're not supposed to run, but uh-uh. I, it's a, it's a known fear. Many of us have here in California because supposedly everyone keeps saying the big one, the big one, the big one. And as we're, um, closing jobs out, and new architects are submitting plans to the state. The state's now making a lot of these architects do uh, geotechnical investigations and seeing if they're on a fault line. And shockingly, I again, I'm not a geologist like you, but some things going on where now school districts are on a fault zone, whereas before they weren't. And I'm like, how did that happen? And again, I didn't go to school for that, but I do know they're like, nope, you need to do more testing and inspection to make sure. Boom. You guys aren't gonna sink right in there. Some when it does go down, not if, but when. That's what they say.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. Yep. I guess getting off the. Oh, do you have some coffee?
2: No, I was just gonna say y'all have your earthquakes and stuff. I guess I guess we have snow. <laughs> we get we get snow loads and uh, ground thawing.
1: Okay, no snow is another thing too. Um, yeah. making sure that everything is. Being able to withstand that we had a snowstorm over here in california people were stuck in the mountain and a lot of roofs were caving in because again they weren't designed for that but where you're at kyle i i'm sure that's the first thing they do look out for is how is it going to hold this load zone of snow
0: no they, they,
2: and they really do and and ground thawing too um because our, our ground thaws out and it freezes and that you know goes through a cycle every year it'll actually um move piping and stuff out of the ground if it's not, uh, n- not in there properly, not at the right depths, if it's not backfilled properly, um, if it's not anchored. I mean, there's, yeah, there's some, some real challenges there sometimes.
1: And so I have a question for both of you, because um, we started off different ways in the industry. So I started off immediately fixing problems like digging bones up for, from close closeout, uh, reading the punch list reports, uh, trying to understand what happened, what went wrong. How are you guys trained in your profession to create a successful closeout? Because I'm coming from this end and you're coming from this end. And we're both doing like lessons learned right now of what is a really successful closeout? So what did you guys learn and how do you apply that where you're not getting sued or coming after or or your job's not on the line because it wasn't done right?
0: I don't know how I learned. Um <laughs> I guess just by I guess just by doing. Um, yeah. I mean I went to school, I was a civil engineer. I went to civil engineering school. I'm not a civil engineer, I didn't take the tests. Uh but anyway, I graduated civil engineering degree with the construction project management, we didn't learn anything like that in college, right? Um you get out and I guess your first few projects, I think probably your first project, if you try to think back on it, you're like, we need your closeout documents. I'm like, my what? I don't know what that means. And you know, then it's like, well, read your specs, it's in your specs. Like, what's a spec? Let me go figure this out and i think it was just that's how i learned probably it's like okay i got to give you everything that my specs call for anything my contract calls for and then you realize like once you start realizing what your contract is what all your contract entails and all that sort of stuff um i mean like today when we're looking after the owner right when i say like anything they're they bought right so if they bought video trained uh, videotapes, trainings that sort of stuff it's because it's in the contract and all the associated contract documents like specs and that sort of stuff so um i think that's for me it's like everything i'm just going to learn it. Unfortunately, I kind of learned it the hard way of somebody asking for something. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me go figure it out.
1: Yeah. And so when you're done with your closeout, who signs off saying, all right, Matt, you did your due diligence per the specs and per your contract. Do they give you like a final check or do they hold retention?
0: Uh, well, when I first learned I was on the subcontractor side, but yeah, they, they're they holding retention. It depends on the project, say 10%, 5 or 10%, usually 10 all the way through till you get all your closeouts done and signed off. And you're turning them over as a subcontractor you're turning them all to gc the gc is compiling everybody from all the other subs they're submitting them to the owner to the uh really the owner the owner's rep the architect or whoever's really kind of in charge of um verifying all that sort of stuff and then once they say yep you're good and they release the retention to the contractor then back down to the subs
1: so, and then what about you kyle how did you learn to have a successful closeout
2: Honestly, I would say probably just from the hard way of doing it wrong and (laughs) and seeing it firsthand, just because a lot of times in my in my world in manufacturing, um, the the owner, the client is so focused on startup and startup to them is hitting a certain production rate of what their actual sellable product is going to be, because that's how they that's how they end up defining their project success. Typically, they want to hit 60 percent production rates within. Six weeks, or what you know, whatever that curve looks like, and so they're also They're so focused on the production side of things. With we got to make this many boxes of cereal. We got to have this many frozen meals that that are that are pumping through the system um, on a daily basis for us to be able to you know show the business that okay our project is right where it needs to be. They're so focused on the the product itself and the actual startup with with the production line that sometimes the other stuff kind of gets pushed to the back, the back burners and all the time and money and effort goes again on the rates. And so kind of, kind of seeing that happen a lot and then seeing which things they kind of, you know, forget about slash deprioritize and just kind of seeing that pattern exist over and over again. It kind of also helps me kind of steer in that direction to say, okay, you, you as the client, you as the owner, you've got this now, like now that we're in startup as a construction manager, I've kind of given you the keys to that part of the project. And so now I'm gonna focus on this part and getting the rest of this part buttoned up so that we can just be done with this thing. So that by the time you actually hit your, your 90% rates, we also have all the all the occupancy inspections done and we actually have everything ready to go to turn this project over and be a complete successful project. So really it's just kind of been seeing projects first firsthand and seeing which things typically get missed.
1: So I think we're all like seeing a common theme is maybe like what I am hearing is companies whether you're a CM or contractor you should be training your team absolutely just like you train them with onboarding with starting a project you should have some sort of SOP or some sort of outline for a really successful closeout so that they're not start having to start a business like myself or they're not having to learn through trial and error like yourself of having successful closeout it's getting that it's getting that training from the start from day one of this is what it looks like here's your outline boom boom because that's why i asked that question is when i'm surveying people when jobs are done i'm like how did you not really know usually it's like well i just didn't know and i'm like okay we got to change that i didn't know To i did know because i was trained right so
0: training is a massive problem in this industry I mean, yeah. that's really the reason we kind of started this podcast is to try to help people, you know, talk about closeouts so they don't have to be an idiot like I was, you know, 13 years ago. I'm like, where's your closeouts? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's a closeout? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so many people in the industry just kind of had to learn it the hard way. And if they don't learn it the hard way, it's the same thing. It's like, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do this thing. And then you can say, well, it was in your contract. It was in your specs. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to read that. Like, what do you mean? But that's a that's a real conversation, that. We have,
1: yeah. So some quick tips, I guess, for those that are listening is what you're saying is, you know, number one, when your closeout's happening, maybe ask the company like if they haven't been trained, what's a successful closeout? How do we do our closeout here? Where's yes. our outline or SOP? And if there isn't, then that person in a great way needs to bring it up to the company's attention and say, hey, I think we need to create the structure within the company so that you know we're killing it in the industry not being, having a retention of our 10% help, because that's why I asked about that retention um, over here, where if your job isn't certified, they hold that retention now, and it's up to 10%. And that has motivated a lot of people to get it together and build projects properly per plan. But um, like you said, it's the training thing that goes back to schooling didn't teach you that, right? I'm guessing it, it talked about it, but it didn't say, hey, Matt, hey, Kyle, here's how you close out your jobs properly.
0: It could have been, I mean, you don't know anything until, I mean, you can read a textbook, right? You have a, a whole chapter on closeouts, but if you don't really know what it means or what it really looks like, you're going to read it like, okay, move on until you actually, it's not going to hit you until you actually have seen it and done it. And like, okay, now I get it.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, it's a theory too, right? what you learn in school is theory. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm correct if I'm wrong because when you get out in the field, it's completely different. But when we start our new jobs, I do bring out the closeout and I say a successful closeout is when a project um, has like a successful kickoff, which was one of your podcasts you spoke about, which I love (laughs) because if you talk about what you're expecting in the end of a closeout in the very beginning, then a lot of that, I thought he, I thought she, all this goes away and everyone knows here's the start. Here's the finish. Here's my closeout. Boom. Get this done.
0: And really, closeouts are still sort of part of the submittal process. A lot of it is, right? You still got to turn up your O&Ms and all that sort of stuff. And so, like, if you have that in mind at the beginning of the project, when you're doing your submittals, like, well, I'm going to need this later, just put it in a folder. I'm going to need this later, put it in a folder. I'm going to need this later, put it in a folder. And if you start gathering at the beginning, when you're in that mindset, when you get to the end, you don't have to, like, go and spend a month digging stuff up.
1: Yeah. um, Your lovely punch list you spoke about, I didn't beat your number, but... Our number right now for one of our clients is 264 punch list items. And this job was built 10 years ago. So again, going back 10 years and trying to figure this whole game out for them.
0: (laughs) You're more of a detective than anything.
1: (laughs) You know, um, I know you hear the joke a lot, but some of us women are great at putting our FBI hat on. And we find out everything about everyone, what your favorite color is and everything. So, hey, it's a good profession for me. I can just just start digging in. (laughs) found it. Here's what we got to do. I'm good at it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So do you have any other tips sort of for a, like a successful closeout uh, yes. process?
1: Yes. Um, for new construction, I would say right in the beginning of your kickoff meeting, bring that question up. What is a successful closeout? What are you expecting from us? Read your contract. Like you said, look at the specs. Um, if you don't know, ask. I hate it when people are in a room and they feel like, oh, my God, I've been in construction for so long. I should know the answer to this. It's OK. You don't know the answer. But the leader of that project, who's construction managing it, should make everyone feel safe to ask those questions off the beginning to help them out towards the end. Um, having a checklist, I think, is very important. Accountability. So as you said, you have that lovely punch list. Who's who? What entity are they from? Name, ball and court, deadline date, weekly meetings. Showing progress being made, putting the right leader in that position. You don't want someone who's passive, right? You need a Type A leader that can hold others accountable in the right way, but also solve the problem, getting it to the closeout and the finished part. And then good record keeping because let's say ten years, you get a phone call from me, and I'm coming back to you. You need to have some sort of documentation to show what that list was, and that it maybe it wasn't your fault, but that you did everything you could to get it finished. Because maybe the client was like, "We don't want to spend any more money fixing these things." Well, you don't have that control, right? If they're not going to pay you to fix it, you have to walk away from it. But at least you have to show where in that documentation that you did your food full, uh, full due diligence with that. So I would say, record keeping is extremely, extremely important in closeout, also. Yeah, for liability purposes.
0: Yeah, it's you know a lot of what we do as construction manager too is just document, 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 and. of times you never need it, but it's just that 1% of the time when you actually need it, you really need it. So it's like, you start getting lazy. Then all of a sudden you need it real bad. Right. And so, yeah.
1: Um, a lot of people don't understand meeting minutes or agendas. And I, I had to explain the why behind all that. And now people are like, Oh, I get it. Yeah. That's why you have agenda and you have notes. Cause if something comes back, you can see what happened, where, and who said what for the project, especially for the closeout of it. Yep. I hope those were some useful tips.
0: I think so. I think it's yeah. Always starting documenting and starting early. I mean, that's the biggest ones that I try tell people is just start your closeouts so when you do your submittals, and it'll be a lot easier.
1: Yep, and have a great leader leading that entire team to the finish line. Yeah, because we—that's we, another topic—is leadership. But we all need great leaders in those
0: roles. Yeah.
2: Agreed. Well, and I really, really feel that that kind of that if we go go full circle of that first tip that you talked about, it's really, you know, aligning on the expectations and aligning on what success even looks like. I mean, it just makes sense to also kind of have that be the driving force, because if you're going down a path that's not leading towards success, then it, it, it's isn't it just a waste of time, a waste of time and money and resources. And your your time and effort could be spent on the stuff that's actually going to be. Considered successful for the project. So, and that's that's been my big kick lately is relying on expectations and you know understanding really you know from the client's perspective of what it really takes for them to have a successful project. Because unless you're in their shoes and you know all the different pressures that they're getting from from their business units and from their stakeholders, you just don't know unless you ask the question. And sometimes, yeah, you even have to kind of get it out of them a little bit. too.
1: Oh, yeah. Like what's communication? I think it's like 80 to 90 percent nonverbal. So if you see someone on the team, you just see that body language. They're not getting it. They want to ask, but they're timid. Then you as the leader or even the teammate have like, hey, do do you have a question about this? And get them to speak up on it because I've been that person, too. I I could see someone in the room. One plus one wasn't clicking for them. And I had to help them get that or else I'm like this person's screwed. We're all going to be screwed. So we all need to work together to help them out. Yes, hundred percent. Team effort.
0: Team yeah, effort. it's creating that. I don't want to say safe space, but kind of creating that culture and stuff where that person feels comfortable asking the questions. They're not going to feel like an idiot for not understanding.
1: Yeah, I've been in rooms where I've seen really tough, tough project construction cool. managers just have that ego, and everyone should be doing this. I and mean, here's the schedule. I'm like. Those teams don't end up being successful you don't have to be that type of construction person anymore you can be a great empathetic leader to help others get to the finish line by creating vulnerability in the group that's what i call it yeah
2: it's the culture of respect that's what it is
1: yep bingo it's the culture the tone they set from day one of the job Yeah. yeah
0: Sometimes too. Sometimes I'll ask stupid questions because I have stupid questions, but also it'll help other people feel comfortable asking stupid questions.
1: But see, I say that I literally will say on a call sometimes. I'm like, okay, so I'm sort of about to ask a stupid question, and the minute I say that, I feel better, and then everyone else is like, no, no, that's not a stupid question. And Then someone else is like, I have the same question, so that I use that phrase a lot. I'm about to ask a stupid question, and um, as we say, no question's a stupid question, but makes me feel better. To get it out of my mouth.
0: It's yeah. I, I do that all the time. And then when you do that again, the same thing. It's like two or three other people probably have the same question. They were just afraid to ask it because it was a stupid question.
1: <laughs> well, construction is like it takes so many different fields, trades, education, and backgrounds that I truly don't think there's one person that knows it all. And so um, you will still come across people who literally have not been exposed. Like, what was I think it was a year ago? I kept seeing so such and such wasn't galvanized, such and such wasn't galvanized or this, or um, there was another term that was being used. And I was like, what exactly does it mean for that scope of construction? And the the state, this guy was on there from the state and he's like, I don't know that either. And I was expecting him to know it. So I was like, oh my gosh, if you don't know and I don't know it. Okay. Like I don't feel as dumb anymore. And he was like 40 years working construction at the state level. So that made me feel better. But yes, that's why it's important to ask and you're not going to know it all ever
2: no never, never, never. Ever. yeah no that's, that's a really good point just to share a quick a quick example of that recently we're putting we're putting some steel up inside of a inside of a, a, a mill I was working at and uh, we had some steel fabrication drawings that we were using of course to to make sure that the, the steel is assembled properly and I'm out there working with these millwrights to get this stuff up in the air and uh I, I look over at the foreman and I'm like hey you know what this means, and it was it was a little a little symbol on the on the drawing that I hadn't seen before. And he's like, "No, I kind of thought you knew." It. And I'm like, "No, I don't know." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm pretty sure this is what it means."
1: <laughs> oh my, yeah. So you manufacture steel, correct, for the all the buildings, Kyle? Like that's the company huh? you're with, yeah? The company uh, you're with
2: is manufacture. No, no, we, we but but I mean a, a, a assemble as part of the projects.
0: Typically. He's an owner's yeah. rep as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, steel was one of my favorite testing and inspection of all things, but hundred percent, the signs, the type of testing that goes into it, it's or sort of seems very simple steel, but at the end of the day, it, it could be very, very complex. So that's yeah. where I found a lot of people on our teams getting questions asked or even sending the right equipment and the people out for that. Um, especially at plants when the steel is getting manufactured I was like, wow, there's way more questions in this than I felt other sectors in construction were getting. But just asking those simple questions. um, I do know someone who went out of business because they didn't look at the specs for a type of steel and they ended up losing a ton of money on it because they didn't pay attention to that. Again, still can be so simple, but if you don't pay attention to the specs, like Matt said, you could shut your business down from bidding on it wrong.
0: (laughs) Unfortunately, that happens way too often. People miss something in a bid and do it all wrong, and it's millions of dollars, and they basically shut the doors.
1: Yeah, I could say install 20 toilets, but did those 20 toilets call for gold toilets? You know, that's a very simple term I use with people. Look at the specs. Ask questions. Yes.
0: Even that, like that symbol Kyle's talking about, too many times, too, I think. I mean, I've been guilty of in the past where you see a symbol, I think it means this, and you say, okay, we're going to do that. Well, if i think it was wrong and then it's something else and we all went down the path of going the wrong direction just because i assumed and didn't really understand that could cause all kinds of problems
1: yep
2: well and, and in our case it was a very simple thing of we have this shear connection for the steel that goes on to this metal beat this, this metal beam plate and which side do you actually connect it to do you <laughs> to the front or to the back and it was it was a symbol that indicated that that I, I hadn't seen on fab drawings before, but that simple thing being off just by a quarter of an inch, the thickness of that plate can make all the difference because we have a gigantic piece of equipment that actually sits inside that steel. So guess yeah. what? If we, if we if it's not bolted upright, that won't even fit. So now we're going back days, weeks of time and manpower, which is gonna lead to delays and lead oh, to yeah. and just wreck the project.
1: Oh yeah. Um, there's against i think all three of us have so much experience with still it's like we lew and welded the bolting we bolting mold of lewing this wasn't matching up we had to do this and i'm like i was actually really interested in taking a class on steel at one point because i was so sick of asking questions that i just wanted to get it but then i had to go full circle of like i'm never gonna 100 percent get this even the best certified welding inspectors or um, we have local 433 out here that are the iron workers, like they're still continuous learning with the new job. So I had to give myself grace to know I'm not gonna know it all in that. <laughs> Even if I take a class. <laughs> yes. No. Yep. Was
0: well, there anything else you think people should know about closeouts and best tips and practices or anything like that?
1: Um, like I said, just ask the questions, have an outline, have your own procedure because every company is so different and what a successful closeout is. Understand what the client wants, what their expectations are, whether it's a district or a hospital or you're building a new shopping center. Like what is, how do they want their clothes out? And then um, get the meetings going till everyone gets the finish line and document, document, document. Yep. Those are all my tips for over a thousand jobs I've closed out in the state of California.
0: Easy, easy peasy, right?
1: Easy peasy. 10 years later. Yes. <laughs> Here I am. Yep.
0: Kyle, you got anything to add? No, no, I mean
2: those are all just so so critical tips. And and it's it is stuff that it's really not. I mean, you, you can find it in textbooks, but you can also really lose it because there is so much detail around all those things. So just having those critical steps, like even the just the high level steps in mind to me is just so so important on projects because Just like we're saying, you don't have to be the expert in every single part of it, but at least know the questions to ask, know to get the right people engaged and involved and drive the conversation. To me, that's what makes us good at our jobs. It's not, I don't have to know everything. I have to know who to get in touch with when to figure everything out.
1: Bingo. You hit it right there. Yeah. Because I don't really know
2: anything. Let's be honest here.
1: we're all still learning <laughs>
2: but you're
0: really good at asking stupid questions
2: so and, and, and also i just have to say for our for our listeners matt you missed an opportunity here by the way i thought I, I thought for sure you were gonna say all right are you ready to close out this conversation
1: you're so funny oh my gosh yeah matt you're ready to close out this conversation
0: All right, i we'll want to go back and edit that and make that sound better let's go back let's go back <laughs> yeah ah uh, man i missed it all right we'll work on it <laughs>
1: you two are funny no, work in that progress. sounds a good one
0: if I was a pro podcaster I would have hit that one I'm just unfortunately still amateur. it's okay so. anyway Natasha I appreciate you joining us it's been fun no yes, thank you has. so much
1: and until next time I'll keep listening to you guys keep killing it
0: I meant to add if anybody wants to get in touch with you how can they reach you
1: um, let's see. They can go to our website, com or find me on LinkedIn. That's the best, quickest way to get a hold of me. Um, Natasha and Melendrez. I'm sure they'll see my name on your podcast. And yeah, just reach out to me, chat me, and I will set something up.
0: Perfect. Awesome. With that, we'll close it out. Oh, uh, there it is. Oh, there it is.